It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. I'm Bill Hemmer. This is Hemmer Time. Last episode, we spoke to Gordon Chang about the events ongoing in Hong Kong. Gordon is an expert in Asian affairs and has written a few books, including one on North Korea called The Nuclear Showdown. In this episode, we asked Gordon about the latest with North Korea. You were the first person to suggest publicly that these recent missile tests in North Korea have been encouraged by the Chinese government. Why do you believe that? Uh, the, because there's been coordination in the past between Beijing and Pyongyang. Is this China's way of saying, we can call a truce on this trade and tariff matter. You make money, we make money, life goes on. If you don't, we can hurt you in other ways, including Pyongyang. In other words, this is their way of saying we have the power to take the lid off of things. Yeah, I, and I think so. And and the reason is we've seen this um, play between Beijing and Pyongyang in the past, where the North Koreans do something provocative. We send our secretary of state to Beijing. We plead for cooperation. And the Chinese, who are ruthlessly pragmatic, they will get concessions on something else. And right now, China really needs concessions on trade because they've run out of ammunition to deal with the United States. So I think what they're doing is they're encouraging Kim Jong-un to fire off missiles, do all sorts of things to give the Trump administration sort of an incentive to come to Beijing and give them concessions on trade in return for cooperation on North Korea. It's almost like Beijing saying, listen, we can't solve everything, but if you're not going to move forward with us, you can have a lot of problems that you don't want. Right. And we got to remember that this stratagem has worked in the past. Uh, The Bush and the Obama administrations, they fell for this all the time. And, you know, there's a lot to criticize Trump on North Korea. But the one thing he's done right is he's not played Beijing's game. So you notice, for instance, um, when you had these three meetings with Kim Jong-un and President Trump, the Chinese are not in the room. No one's talking about China. Basically, what Trump did was he pushed them to the side. And that's a good thing, because over the course of our discussions with North Korea, starting from 2003 and the six-party talks, the Chinese have generally been a malign influence. President George W. Bush put China at the center of our efforts to disarm North Korea because he felt it was important to try to bring Beijing into the international system. Well, unfortunately, it didn't work. So what we got was we got a very arrogant China— And we got a nuked up North Korea and the policy was a disaster. So um, there's a lot that I don't like about Trump's North Korea policy. But the one thing I really, really think is fantastic is that we are driving this in terms of our discussions with Kim. That that Chinese Mm. are just on the sidelines, hoping to get in, trying desperately to get in, but not getting in. Two things here outside of the borders, not exclusively outside of the borders of China. But with regard to North Korea, do you, do you think Beijing ever wants to solve that? No. Or would would the Chinese be perfectly happy to allow Kim to run his hermetic kingdom forever? Um, I think the Chinese um, would be pre- content to do this. This gets a little bit complicated, but um, because there's a lot, a lot of North Korea experts say, and this is absolutely correct, that the Chinese and the Koreans hate each other. 
We know that because for millennia, they've been actually fighting each other. And that border between Korea and China has moved hundreds of miles in both directions. So we do know that these two groups don't like each other. But that doesn't explain a lot of behavior because the Koreans know that they are indebted to the Chinese. The Chinese support their economy. So, for instance, most years, China accounts for more than 90 percent of North Korea's external trade. That's enormous. China provides the diplomatic support in the U.N. Security Council uh, and other diplomatic mm -hmm. venues. And the other thing is that China has been consistently supporting the North Korean ballistic missile and nuclear weapons program with components, equipment, materials, technologies, all sorts of stuff. Now, China, uh, you know, if you're doing this for decades, it means that it's obviously consistent policy. So the Chinese have been consistently making North Korea a real threat. For instance, the Chinese have been supplying the North Koreans with these mobile launchers. You know, we're not concerned about North Korea's longest range missiles as uh, a threat to us because those take weeks to sort of assemble, to transport to the launch site, to assemble them, fuel them, test it. We can kill them easily. What we're concerned about are their mobile missiles because they can hide before shooting, which means that without a... We don't have a high degree of reliability of being able to kill them before they're in the air. Do we know if they're effective at that yet? They're pretty effective at that. And the thing is that China has supplied the mobile launchers for mm -hmm. North Korea's missiles, which means we know that China has made North Korea a real military threat. And China wouldn't have done that if they were unhappy with what the Koreans were doing. So we know um, as we look over at this history of the relations between North Korea and People's Republic of China, that the Chinese actually support North Korea's weaponization efforts because they know that it's a real threat to the United States and it is a proxy. China has supplied nuclear weapons technology through Pakistan to Iran, um, Libya, and also to a lesser extent to North Korea. When the president refers to the big, bright future for the Korean people, to, uh, is that realistic? Well, North Korea has a lot of very smart people um, and, and it has a very poor economy. Matter of fact, you know, people say if you're, if you're trapped on a desert island and you only can have one other person with you, you want a North Korean engineer. It's a joke. But it shows you these guys are resourceful. These are, these are, are really, really smart engineers, technicians, scientists, all the rest of it. Um, yeah, North Korea does have a great future, but the problem is it also has the Kim regime, and the Kim regime has purposefully prevented prosperity. You know, President Trump showed that four-minute video at the historic June summit in right. Singapore last year, um, and I'm sure Kim Jong Un took a look, one look at that, and said. That's exactly what I don't want, because you've got prosperous people. They are going to demand more say in their lives. They're going to be able to yeah. push their rulers around. Kim looked at that and said to Trump, I, don't, I don't, wasn't there, of course, but I'm sure that Kim was thinking, no, sir, this is not for the Kim family. Kim family has deliberately has stayed in power because we have deliberately kept the North Korean people impoverished, which means they don't have the means to resist their rulers. Now, that was the one thing that I really took away from the Vietnam visit, too, when they met there in Hanoi was Kim wants to run the table on three things. He wants to maintain power. He wants to keep his nukes and he wants sanctions relief so he can get his economy going in the right place. He wants to run the table. And it's this administration has has resisted on all three of those. Two more questions. <clears throat> the Hong Kong protests, how serious and significant do you believe they are? Um, 
I think they're, they can be extremely significant, Bill. You know, in many times in Chinese history, including the last imperial dynasty, the Qings, these dynasties, these regimes uh, unraveled from the periphery inwards. So you had problems on the periphery and they reverberated through to the center. And Hong Kong is on the periphery of China. Now, Xi Jinping knows that very, very, very few people in mainland China sympathize with the Hong Kong protesters. That's a lot of reasons for that. But I think Xi Jinping is, says, look, he's worried nonetheless. And the reason is Hong Kong protesters have pushed around Carrie Lam, who the Hong Kong chief executive. And um, I'm sure that Xi Jinping does not want people in the mainland to see ordinary folks in the street pushing their leaders around. In the first week of July, there was a big protest, 10,000 or so people in Wuhan, the capital of Hubei province, in the mainland itself. But it was isolated. It was the only big protest at the time. I think that if you see three or four Wuhan-sized protests occurring simultaneously, Xi Jinping will view this as a mortal threat to the Communist Party, and he probably will do something awful in Hong Kong. So that, uh, that means a crackdown. That so means a crackdown. Remember the kids in the street, they first started protesting about a piece of legislation. Now they're not only talking about that legislation, they're talking about independence for Hong Kong, which is anathema to the Communist Party. And they're also talking about the end of communism on Chinese soil. So the demands have escalated. And these are kids, Bill, yeah, who are they, willing to die. Yeah. We've and, seen four and protest linked and, suicides. And they, some of them were were born or came of adult age well after the handover of the late 1990s. So they are yeah. born into a different generation. They're born into a different generation. You know, in 1997, uh, when Britain handed Hong Kong to China, there was a lot of patriotism, a lot of pro-China feeling in Hong Kong. This was like we've gotten rid of our colonial masters. My wife, who is uh, as freedom-loving an American citizen as you'll find, mm -hmm. she doesn't like the British because she didn't like growing up as, you know, you know having a colonial master. She still doesn't like the British. Um, but what we're seeing in Hong Kong right now are kids who had no sense of the British, um, who know how bad things are today. And those kids are flying Union Jacks. And they're also flying American flags. Because they want the Chinese out. They don't view themselves as Chinese anymore, a lot of them. They view themselves as Hong Kong people. Now, now, if you look from a, um, an ethnic point of view, yeah, they are Chinese. They speak Chinese. They are Han Chinese, as the dominant ethnic group is called. But the point is, they self-identify increasingly as Hong Kong people, not Chinese. Mm. And that is a critical issue for Beijing. 22 years removed from the handover, you say, how many suicides have happened? In there have been four um, suicides that have been linked to uh, the protests. There have been a lot of kids who say they're willing to die. And two Sundays, three Sundays ago, you had a number of kids facing a line of police saying, kill us. And maybe the only reason why they're alive today is because other protesters took them out of the line of fire. Mm, sounds like the, the young man standing in front of the tank in Beijing. Absolutely. Decades ago. You told me the other day that China has a right now problem. Is that what you mean? Well, China, in, in terms of right now, um, has so many um, problems that are affecting it at the same time. And I think it's very difficult for Xi Jinping to deal with all of these at the same time. 
Chinese leaders have had a remarkably easy run because the United States and other countries wanted to help China. So the Chinese, and, and also there were other factors like they had great demography, a demographic dividend, all the rest of it. A lot of these factors have now turned negative. China is in a collapsing demography or at least in an accelerated decline in their demography. And they've also got hostility on the part of other leaders, including President Trump, who've said, we've had enough. And you've had Chinese people now who um, say, we've had enough. Clearly the ones in Hong Kong, you're starting to see that in the mainland itself. Remember, the Communist Party moved its base, has changed its basis of legitimacy from communism to the continual delivery of prosperity. And if, you know, these indications showing a contracting Chinese economy are indeed accurate, it shows that, you know, these people who have not seen a recession since, well, the National Bureau of Statistics reports that the last yearly downturn in gross domestic product in China was 1976, mm. the year Mao Zedong died. These are people, whole generations of Chinese don't know what a downturn is, have no mental co- <laughs> double idea. Di- double digit growth your entire double life. Double digit growth. You yeah. know, everything is supposed to get better. And all of a sudden things are getting worse and they're getting worse fast. So, you know, the party's got to deal with the economy and it can't do what it needs to do. What it needs to do is what Deng Xiaoping did, which was get foreign money and liberalize, you know, move to a more market economy. Xi Jinping is kicking out the foreigners. And at the same time, he's increasing the role of the state enterprises and he's attacking even domestic Chinese entrepreneurs. The the real danger in that is if you start with a trade war, what does it spill over into? What, Uh, What other aspects of the relationship? Everything. Everything. Samuel Huntington, who wrote The Clash of Civilizations, the great Harvard political scientist, um, went out in his book, Clash of Civilizations, um, referred to a phenomena. And that is, he said, a lot of political scientists will say countries with high levels of trade won't go to war with each other. But Huntington said, no, uh, that's the level of trade is irrelevant. What is relevant is the direction. And right now, we are delinking our economy from China's. So there's less and less interaction. Huntington says, when you have two countries that delinked, they can go to war because they no longer see that they have an interest in maintaining their relationship. Wow. So right now, what you're seeing in the United States is we're starting to complain about all sorts of Chinese bad behavior we've known for a very long time. And we've had political leaders who have not done anything or done almost nothing about it. But now you're seeing we're starting to complain about these things. And so the relationship between the United States and China is getting worse and worse. It's terrific getting your insights. Thank you so much. Thank you, Bill. I'm Bill Hemmer. This is Hemmer Time. This is Jimmy Fallon, inviting you to join me for Fox Across America, where we'll discuss every single one of the Democrats' dumb ideas. Just kidding. It's only a three-hour show. Listen live at noon Eastern or get the podcast at foxacrossamerica.com.